Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margaret Parker. Today, I will be speaking with Lori R. Frankel, MD, FCCM, on his article entitled Criteria for Critical Care, Infants and Children, PICU Admission, Discharge, and Triage Practice Statement and Levels of Care Guidance, published in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine in September 2019. To access the full article, visit pccmjournal.org. Dr. Frankel is the chair of the Department of Pediatrics at California Pacific Medical Center in Stanford, California, and Emeritus Professor of Pediatrics at Stanford University School of Medicine. Welcome, Lori. Good morning, Margaret, and thank you very much for having me. Good to have you here. Um, would you start by giving us some background about the previous guidelines and uh, when they were and why the new set of guidelines is needed? Sure, I'm very happy to. Um, SCCM has always prided itself on the fact that it develops guidelines for critical care practitioners. And one of the most important guidelines is admission and transfer and discharge criteria from intensive care units. The first guidelines were published in 1993, um, and it was titled... Uh, Pediatric Section Guidelines and Levels of Care for Pediatric Intensive Care Units. Again, that was published in 1993, both in pediatrics and, and in SCCM. In 2004, a revision of that um, guidelines, they were published uh, by the Critical Care Society, and again, titled Guidelines and Levels of Care for Pediatric Intensive Care Units. And the differences between those first two um, was really that in the 1993 guidelines, it was um, clearly stated at that time that there was one level of a pediatric intensive care unit. And this su sufficed the coverage of both tertiary and quaternary centers, as well as uh, community-based facilities. As healthcare emerged and technologies improved and surgical programs uh, developed uh, that place a stronger foothold in pediatrics, in the subsequent guidelines that, again, were published in 2004, the um, authors began to divide the intensive care units into level one and level two ICUs, with level one ICUs being more tertiary quaternary ICUs and level two being more community-based ICUs. And that the community-based ICUs, uh, that they serve a, a valuable function for providing critical care services to children in closer to home, the level one intensive care units were more regionalized intensive care units and localized both in university settings as well as um, uh, children's hospitals. In the ensuing period of time, uh, it, uh, pediatric critical care has even involved into further uh, delineation of care for critically ill children into the level um, that were previously described, but in addition to specialty intensive care units, such as cardiovascular ICUs, uh, neuro-intensive care units, transplant programs, and so forth, so that the new guidelines that were um, established really um, honed in on the evolution of pediatric critical care into the specialty units, uh, still preserving the need for community-based facilities and trying to uh, stratify the care that critically ill children could receive, both within their own community as well as at regional centers. How were these guidelines developed? Can you talk a little bit about the process? The, the process of the guidelines um, that we wrote were quite complicated because of the evolution of these multidisciplinary intensive care units. And we um, initially were challenged with um, 
the guidelines that the Society of Critical Care Medicine put forth in the um, about eight, nine years ago, that the guidelines that were going to be written had to have um, evidence-based support for our recommendations. And this is a very, very difficult concept for those of us who do intensive care in, in trying to understand how we do evidence-based medicine looking at outcomes of children in different types of intensive care units. The literature is very limited, and we were limited in our scope. And for the first two or three years, we floundered around trying to use uh, the various analyses, Cochrane or evidence-based uh, approach to this, and we were really having a, a, a significant challenge. And then about four or five years ago, as we were um, really immersed into a uh, uh, this challenge, the adult intensive care um, intensivists who are writing the guidelines for adult admission, discharge, and transfer criteria utilized um, a PICO analysis, which basically solicits expertise, uh, expert opinions, I should say, from various critical care practitioners um, throughout the country. And um, they developed a questionnaire, and soon they were able to get expert opinion about the different types of, of adult intensive care units. Using that model, we then um, worked with SCCM uh, in developing a uh, two things. One, a panel of experts who would um, represent a broad coalition of pediatric critical care practitioners across the country and from different types of intensive care units, community, uh, tertiary, and even specialty units. And then we uh, drafted a series of questions seeking 85% concurrence among the practitioners as to what type of patient should be housed in which type of intensive care facility. And this led to um, the ability to complete our document. Quite, quite a challenging process. Well, it gets, it gets even more challenging. <laughs> <laughs> what are the levels of PICUs and how are they defined? Okay. So with the um, ability to obtain um, expert uh, consensus, if you will, um, we were able then to um, structure the, the uh, manuscript to reflect uh, these expert opinions and, and clearly um, begin the division of pediatric critical care units into the three different levels of care, community, tertiary, and uh, subspecialty intensive care units. So, um, we, we started out with really a scientific type of paper where we discussed the objectives, our study design, the methodology, and then we had a result section and the conclusions. And the, the conclusions really were what carried us um, into the um, description of the le different levels of intensive care units with the resources that were, are required to function at those different levels. And um, we also did uh, literature searches. And we did find certain articles that supported certain concepts and constructs for the care of, of these critically ill children. So uh, can you talk, I mean, clearly you get a group like that together and there's not going to be unanimous agreement. Um, can you talk about what some of the major points of agreement were with regard regarding the uh, different levels? The major agreements in um, the description for the different levels of intensive care unit uh, were the, the, the medical leadership of the intensive care units 
uh, needed to be individuals who were um, certified by the respective medical subspecialty boards in critical care medicine so that they've had not only um, uh, uh, appropriate training, but they have um, proven to the, the, the board of pediatrics, anesthesia, or surgery that they uh, are capable of dealing with the management of critically ill children. So that even the level of intensive care for the community hospitals, you had intensivists um, be the primary care providers for patients in the intensive care unit or other specialists who have critical care training. So that was one area of agreement that we were um, all very, very um, pleased with. Then the other areas were dedicated nursing staff and a nurse management structure that maintain the identity of intensive care um, personnel in that unit. We also agreed on the fact that uh, certain people with pediatric skill sets should be the ones who help provide care in a multidisciplinary manner, such as pharmacists, respiratory therapists, social work, child life, and all the, the other extra support services that are needed for the care of critically ill children. So there was quite a bit of agreement on the uh, the foundation for the intensive care units. What about areas of disagreement? What were some of the areas of controversy? Sure. And that's a good question as well. So some of the areas of controversy were um, the um, impact that training programs have on intensive care units. So as you move into the higher levels of care, tertiary and and, uh, subspecialty units, it's very common to find that you have trainees in those intensive care units, uh, um, both at the resident level and at the fellow level, whereas in the community-based intensive care units, you may or may not have uh, um, access to a a teaching program. So um, that led to some concern about how people maintain skill sets, maintain uh, uh, current knowledge base in intensive care, besides what um, the boards require for recertification and so forth. Um, so education, the educational component was something that there was quite a bit of um, uh, concern about. In addition, um, as healthcare is transforming into more of a digital, digitalized age in the use of telehealth um, and other forms of communication, it was strongly uh, encouraged that certain smaller intensive care units, community-based intensive care units, can rely more on communities' uh, resources to help with the transfer of critically ill patients if the teams are appropriately trained to deal with um, the movement of, of, of these children within a um, small geographic area. Whereas the tertiary and subspecialty units required um, their own specialized transport teams to help with the movement of, of these critically ill children. So those are the things that we began to uh, use to separate out the levels of care as well. How do you think uh, PICU administrators, both uh, at the physician and then at the nursing level, should use these guidelines? I, I think that administration always finds these guidelines both helpful, impactful, and sometimes um, a little bit of a nuisance because these guidelines uh, require that if the hospitals and the hospital administrators want to have these types of facilities within their larger hospital, they have to put in the appropriate resources. So um, in the community situation where um, they may not have specialized uh, surgical programs or, or um, um, medical programs, they're much uh, have lower volume and lower acuity, 
uh, the administrators still have to provide significant resources that um, require the allocation of equipment, personnel, and a, a, um, and a commitment to, to make sure that that intensive care unit can function at a high quality, high efficiency um, situation. The administrators in tertiary and quaternary centers uh, now know that the intensive care unit is the centerpiece of most of those facilities in pediatric care because it's the convergence of where all the critically ill patients come to be managed in a, in a multidisciplinary manner for uh, their acute medical uh, uh, crisis or post-operative uh, situations. And, and the hospitals that have tra that trauma center designation, in some states, they're required to have a pediatric intensive care unit for access to critical care services. So the administrators now have a um, playbook, if you will, to help them understand what resources are required to make sure that these intensive care units run well. Clearly, uh, as you outlined at the beginning of this um, session, a lot has changed over the last couple of decades uh, in pediatric critical care. And it is likely that these guidelines will need to be revised in another 10 years or so. What should we be thinking about or looking for in future guidelines? Well, I think that the technology is moving so quickly that in the future guidelines, I think the, the issue about augmented uh, um, reality and artificial intelligence will play a bigger role in helping care for children um, who may be uh, housed in units not in close proximity to the specific units that's helping with consultative support. So more of a, of a on the adult side, they have eICUs. You may find that community and tertiary ICUs will be interconnected with the, the subspecialty units, and that the, 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 this will enable the child to be cared for in multiple sites or in one site by multiple physicians at different sites. And I think um, uh, with uh, artificial intelligence and, and uh, a decision support analysis, you're going to find ways to care for um, these critically ill children um, much more effectively and efficiently as we begin to standardize uh, through computer uh, systems, um, how to care for patients in a way that um, minimizes uh, the effect of individual practitioners' um, input in some respects, but an out and enables us to practice more of a standardized uh, practice model that uh, is far more uh, apparent than how it currently exists. Uh, you're beginning to see this uh, unfold in, in imaging and uh, in pathology, and I'm sure it will be brought to the bedside for the management of the critically ill infant and child. There's going to be a lot for us to uh, think about and work on, and um, clearly these guidelines have contributed substantially to our management of PICUs um, while recognizing the uh, areas of disagreement that you outlined. Um, do you have any further comments? Well, I wanted to thank all of my colleagues who helped contribute to, to this effort, both the, uh, the panel of experts and, more importantly, the, the co-authors. And um, the input we received from the AAP was very, very helpful in that um, we finally had a group of surgeons uh, contribute significantly to these guidelines. Uh, prior to, um, uh, I think, this set of guidelines, the input and involvement from the surgical community had been very limited. 
And um, I want to give uh, a lot of uh, kudos to the AAP for having the uh, surgical section uh, participate in the revision of these guidelines. This unfortunately resulted in a delay of um, um, a few months, but um, I'm glad we got their input. Sounds like it was worth the wait. It was worth the wait. It really was. And I think we learned a lot from that process. And I think in the future, um, we do need to reach out to uh, other groups uh, that, that care for children in these complex environments and make sure their input um, it, it becomes embedded into the fabric of these uh, guidelines. Thank you very much for talking with us today, Laurie. Well, thank you. Um, and I really appreciate uh, the opportunity. We have been talking today with Dr. Lori Frankel from Stanford, California, about the article, Criteria for Critical Care Infants and Children, PICU Admission, Discharge, and Triage, Practice Statement, and Levels of Care Guidance, published in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine in September 2019. This concludes another edition of the iCritical Care podcast. For the iCritical Care podcast, I'm Dr. Margaret Parker. Margaret Parker, MD, MCCM, is Professor Emeritus of Pediatrics at Stony Brook University in New York. She is a former president of the Society of Critical Care Medicine. She is currently serving as Associate Editor of Critical Care Medicine and Senior Associate Editor of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine. Join or renew your membership with SCCM the only multi-professional society dedicated exclusively to the advancement of critical care. Contact a customer service representative at 847-827-6888 or visit sccm.org membership for more information. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members.